You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, this event is uh, one of many that we've organized at the Swedish Institute of International Affairs in cooperation with the uh, Free Speech Festival this week uh, as part of a series that we've called Emerging Images of Resistance in the Arab World, where we get um, scholars and directors from the region to come and present their work and have a conversation about it with the people who are directly involved in what's happening. So thank you for having us here. And tonight we're going to begin with Ella Yusfi, who's a, a scholar and lecturer at Paris-Dauphine <laughs> University. My French is excellent. Uh, and she's going to talk to us about her book, which looks at the role of the trade unions during the 2011 Tunisian revolutions and uh, afterwards as well. So Hella is going to present her book, and then we're going to have a conversation about it. And the book was published by Routledge last year. So... The floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Lucia. Uh, I would like to start by thanking uh, the Swedish Institute for International Affairs and the Free Speech uh, Festival for giving me this great opportunity to present my work uh, here. And I want also to thank Aras and Shirin for uh, making this uh, uh, possible. Uh, what I'm going to try to uh, present today is I work on the UGTT. UGTT is the Tunisian General Labour Union and its role during the uh, revolutionary process from uh, 2011 till the adoption of the first democratic constitution in 2014. Uh, I will start by explaining uh, the motives that uh, pushed me to uh, carry out this uh, study. Uh, I was uh, motivated by two uh, aspects, two factors. First, I wanted to deconstruct the rhetoric according to which when we listen to the Western, mainly to the Western media, the Tunisian revolution was portrayed as some magical act, as if to get rid of a dictator, it's uh, uh, sufficient to come together in a demonstration the 13th of January, and we can get rid uh, of a dictator who uh, governed Tunisia for uh, uh, more than two uh, decades. And this rhetoric actually uh, 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 glossed over decades of uh, collective uh, struggle for social and democratic uh, rights in Tunisia, led by different groups of actors and different uh, uh, civil society organizations and mainly uh, UGTT. The second also rhetoric that we heard a lot about the Tunisian uh, revolution is this focus uh, on the cleavage between the Islamists and the secularists. And it was also for me a way of uh, hijacking the social demand and the economic questions that uh, uh, were behind this uh, uh, popular uh, uprising in Tunisia. The second motive, as you know, when you, uh, for people who know this, uh, when you live under uh, an authoritarian regime, the first thing that the regime uh, does is to destroy any possibility of collective organized action. So what I wanted to know, because the UGTT was the main important national organization in, the, uh, in Tunisia, what I, wanted, what I wanted to explore because of my background in sociology of organization is to understand how this uh, UGTT managed to remain 
the only space, one of the few spaces of collective uh, uh, action that uh, managed to resist to the uh, rule of the authoritarian regime of uh, Bourguiba and then of uh, Ben Ali. So my book basically traced, uh, tried to, to, I tried to trace the role of the GTT from, as I said before, from 2000 and uh, just after the departure of Ben Ali till uh, 2014. And uh, what I wanted to explore, basically three questions. The first question, how can we understand the interaction between this uh, very important national organization, the trade union in Tunis, and the so-called spontaneous uh, young uh, uh, movement? And the second question, what was the main role uh, of the EGTT, what was the role played by the EGTT in leading the political uh, transition? As you know, uh, uh, EGTT, for those who know, uh, EGTT was one of the most important actors in uh, leading uh, the, the political transition after the departure of Ben Ali. They w were the, the main player in the national dialogue, uh, the, the, the national dialogue that managed to, uh, ma uh, to save the, the country from the Egyptian scenario, actually. And uh, the third uh, question was, uh, what are the challenges faced by the GTT in the new political uh, landscape? And how the unionist, uh, uh, what are the representations of the unionist of these challenges? So my work was based mainly on interviews with unionists. I wanted to give uh, the, the, the voice to the unionists who were very important in, uh, in giving support to the uh, uh, popular uprising. And also I, have, uh, I made interviews with uh, uh, some representatives of uh, uh, political parties and also of other uh, national organizations who were uh, involved in the uh, political uh, transition. Now, I should start by some, uh, yani some information about this uh, important uh, organization in Tunisia. Uh, so, actually, GTT is the GTT, so that's the General Tunisian Union Générale Tunisienne de Travail, the uh, general, the Tunisian General Labour uh, Union. Uh, GTT actually is older than the the Tunisian Republic. It was founded in 1946 by Farhad Hashed and other Tunisian Unionists, following a split with the French General Confederation of Labour (CGT) uh, Française. And the split was uh, explained by the position, the political position of the French Communist Party and the French section of the Workers uh, International, SFEO, who refused to support independence for Tunisia. So from the foundation of the UGTT, we can see that the birth of the UGTT was at the articulation between social struggles and uh, national political uh, dependence. So it's not a classic trade union as we can see in the Western uh, societies. It's more, uh, for me, it's more uh, a political organization rather than a classic uh, trade union that uh, uh, defined a particular sector-based uh, uh, interests. Uh, 
the specificity of UGTT, as I said, it was the only organization, uh, uh, trade union, the only um, workers organization in the country. It was uh, uh, predominantly present in the public sector. The UGTT comprises 24 regional unions, uh, 19 sector federation, and 21 general uh, unions. Uh, what I want to, to say here that uh, unlike, for example, CGT, what determines the political positions of UGTT is more a very subtle uh, uh, balance between uh, regional consideration, sector-based interest, and also political affiliation. So it's not the ideological positioning, like in the CGT Française, that determines the, uh, the, the, the positioning of UGTT. Some uh, French media, for example, during the clash between uh, the Islamist party in Nahda in 2013 uh, and UGTT, tend to uh, represent or to describe UGTT as a left uh, uh, as a leftist organization, it's, not, it's true and not true. It's true in the sense that we have a strong presence of uh, the Arab nationalists and the radical left within the UGTT, but we have also the presence of the Islamists and the old regime, uh, so it's a very particular uh, organization. What made uh, UGTT uh, interesting comparing to other Arab uh, countries is the UGTT, as I said, has always enjoyed a certain amount of uh, uh, independence uh, and autonomy vis-à-vis -vis the ruling regime. And uh, still, we have two factions at, the, at that time. Now things are changing very quickly. But at the time of uh, during the, the Ben Ali regime and Bourguiba regime, we had two factions. The first faction, represented by the official bureaucracy of GTT, totally aligned with the ruling regime. And you have some sections in the uh, southern uh, part of the, the countries and in some, uh, in some also sectors like the uh, teaching uh, uh, section, the health section, the postal section, who represented the uh, bastion of resistance uh, against the regime. And they played actually a very important uh, role during the uh, popular uprising. They were these sections, this, these resistance uh, sections, were, uh, were important in supporting the first uh, popular uh, demonstration. So I'm going to focus on two episodes. The first episode is the role of GTT uh, during the protest, uh, meaning from the emulation of, uh, after the emulation of uh, uh, Bouazizi till the departure of Ben Ali. And here we have a specific role played by the GTT. It was totally supporting the uh, social movement led mainly by unemployed, uh, we focus in the media on the bloggers, but people who were in the street at the beginning were the unemployed. Uh, and then I will uh, focus on another episode, and here we will see that the UGTT changed, uh, has changed its alliance. It was aligned, uh, um, it has an alliance with the unemployed, and then they changed, the, they had changed the, their alliance uh, with uh, the employers and the uh, political and economic uh, elite. I will explain this uh, later. So how 
the unionist, as I said, it's mainly the representation of the unionists of their role uh, during the popular uprising, how they represent their their themselves and their role in uh, during the, 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 the protest. One of the most important things that all of them said that we are not the leaders of this popular movement, but we gave the important logistic, symbolic and political support to these uh, young and unemployed uh, who were in the street. How they give this uh, uh, support, uh, actually GTT is the only organization that has offices uh, in each uh, corner in the, in the country, so they have 24 offices everywhere. And it was, I mean, unlike Egypt, for example, when pe where people were uh, gathering uh, uh, near the mosques in Tunisia, the, the all the demonstrations and the uh, rallies were organized uh, near the offices of the VGTT. The second important uh, role, he said, they said that they managed to transform the economic and social demands in political um, slogans, uh, and they have a lot of they politicize basically the 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 the, the so-called yes the so spontaneous movement, and they said that they played uh, a very uh, important role in uh, coordinating between other uh, groups of actors, mainly the lawyers, uh, Ordre National des Avocats, who won the Nobel Prize with the UGTT with the human rights uh, uh, activists, with, uh, with the, the leftist uh, political parties in, uh, in the countries, and they were at the heart of this uh, uh, coordination. The fourth uh, role is they managed to uh, um, uh, get the geographical spread of the movement, because as I said, they have offices uh, everywhere. Uh, an important thing also to say about the GTT, and it's really interesting that uh, we had, uh, I mean, after the after the departure of Ben Ali, the political and the old regime tried to uh, 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 to attack the GTT, and they were saying. UGTT didn't play a real role in the uh, revolutionary uh, process. It's mainly individuals, unionists, as individuals who played uh, a role uh, within uh, this uh, episode. And actually, when you see uh, closely what happened, uh, the, the UGTT managed, I mean, the sections, the resistance section, where we have a big influence of the radical leftists and the Arab nationalists, they put a strong pressure on the board to uh, uh, to make them uh, support the popular uprising. So the official position at the beginning of the uprising of the UGTT was totally aligned with uh, Ben Ali position. And it's only at the beginning with the, uh, the famous date of uh, uh, um, 11 January, where we have a very important demonstration in Sfax, which is the second economic uh, uh, town in the city in the uh, in Tunisia that we saw the uh, the switch in the official position of uh, the uh, the official board of uh, of uh, UGTT then this is the first episode so we can see that uh, UGTT I mean, of course, mainly the resistance bastion within the UGTT, they totally supported the unemployed and they participated to make the uh, Ben Ali, uh, the departure of uh, Ben Ali. 
I must also mention that the demonstration of the, that you, may, you might heard of uh, the uh, 14th of January wasn't uh, led by uh, the bloggers, it was led by the UGTT, it was uh, a general strike uh, in Tunisia, and this is important also uh, to, to say. So then after the departure of Ben Ali, we enter to a new uh, political picture. And here we have, I mean, UGTT was at the heart of a passionate debate between those who accuse UGTT of spreading the chaos and the anarchy in the, in the country by, uh, by, uh, by supporting this uh, uh, crazy young uh, 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 protesters. And mainly this attack came mainly from the political and economic uh, uh, elite. And you, uh, you have also uh, the revolutionary, the, I mean the group of people who call them the revolutionaries, who were expecting the UGTT to continue its uh, role of supporting uh, the revolutionary process. What happened, UGTT actually played a very uh, uh, balancing role, as uh, the unionists would put it. They, the unionists kept saying that uh, they were disappointing everybody. They were disappointing the reformists who, who, who advocate a minimum of institutional continuity with the old regime and the revolutionaries who wanted a radical breakup with the old regime. The unionists told us, uh, told me, <laughs> uh, they, they, um, they, the UGTT was playing a very specific role, which is a balancing uh, power. They kept saying uh, in Arabic, uh, meaning force d'équilibre, balancing power. Uh, balancing a power of uh, balancing power and also uh, a power of the negotiation power. Because, as I said, they represent, I mean, within the UGTT, you have all the social classes. You can find workers, textile workers, and also doctors and, and uh, teachers. They said, we, we uh, basically reunite mainly the middle classes within the UGTT. And this, this specificity of the sociology of UGTT helped us to play an intermediary role between the revolutionaries and the uh, economic and political elite that, and when I say economic elite, economic and political elite, I include the old regime and also the new political players like the Islamists and uh, the, the, the other uh, political parties and mainly the Islams, actually the new uh, uh, political elite. Uh, this, the, so this very specific uh, role, uh, as I said, uh, led to a passionate debate about the role of uh, UGTT. Is the UGTT with the revolutionaries or with the uh, old regime? Uh, the second important uh, aspect, as there is something very important in the, the, the I mean, practically what happened, JTT managed to establish, uh, to establish very many institutional uh, uh, experiments like the Conseil National de la Protection de la Révolution, the National uh, Council for, the, for protection the Protection of the Revolutions. And then there was this another uh, instance, uh, institution called La Haute Instance pour la Réalisation des Objectifs de la Révolution, the higher instance for the achievement of the revolutionary uh, uh, objectives Aims. and the political transition. It's really funny to see in this title we have 
both reference to the political transition and to the revolution. Normally, we cannot mix revolution with uh, political transition, and it's really funny. They, they, it's, it tells a lot of, about this very ambivalent role of uh, the EGTT, and actually these, uh, these uh, institutional experiments uh, were based on the consensus as a way to uh, manage divergent uh, perspective and divergent interests. So when we talk about uh, democracy, democracy is ba I mean, it's mainly how to institutionalize mechanisms of uh, managing conflicts. And in UGTT, as I said, because it was the, uh, uh, the only space of collective action, they managed, to, I mean, from their political, their political uh, culture, uh, influence, has influenced a lot the process uh, Tunisian led the, the political transition by adopting the consensus of the only way to, uh, to, uh, to get out of the uh, political uh, crisis. And what I wanted to say that after the election of uh, the Islamists in 2000 and the, the first democratic election in 2013, the, uh, the democratic uh, legitimacy, legitimacy of the Islamists wasn't sufficient from them for them to uh, govern the country. So we have witnessed uh, a competition between three sources of legitimacy. The legitimacy of uh, elections, so the Islamists kept saying we should govern, we should listen to us, we should govern the country because we won the, the election. And then you have the, uh, the opposition, the, oh, the opposition, the political opposition by uh, the, led mainly by the GTT and other, and the old regime, of course, because the old regime wasn't represented at the first, uh, in the first uh, government and other, uh, the other political uh, parties, they were arguing that it's a very uh, fragile uh, uh, situation and we need consensus to, uh, basically they were contesting the, the, the elections and they wanted using the rhetoric of consensus to uh, interfere in the political affairs of uh, the government. And the other, uh, the other group of actors, they were, as I said, advocating the importance of a radical rupture of the old regime, and we call them uh, the revolutionaries, and they were mainly represented by the unemployed, uh, organized within uh, um, an organization called uh, Union des Diplômés Chômeurs, Union of, uh, Union of Unemployed, uh, uh, who, how to say, Diplômé Chômeurs? Unemployed with diploma, it's a very specific uh, oh. qualified unemployed. And, uh, and, this is, and, and then the GTT tried to make a consensus between all of these uh, two groups. The important thing here, I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to try to read this quote because it's, I think it's this quote crystallized the role played by the GTT during this uh, revolutionary uh, process. The GTT played a central role in the success of the revolution throughout and provided guidance rooted in its historical legacy as a stakeholder in Tunisian society. The GTT had human and structural mechanisms that enable 
it to adapt to each period in history, from independence to the crisis at the Union in 1978 and 1985. Here I should mention that the UGTT played an important role uh, to react to mo the most important liberalization waves led by the international institutions in the and at the end of the 70s and also in, uh, in uh, 84. And the, the UGTT was uh, the, the refugee of all the social movements that we uh, witnessed in uh, the countries. And it's actually a reaction to uh, the, the different reforms imposed by uh, World Bank and the AMF, AMF if I may. Yeah. So up to uh, the December uh, 17th, uh, we have the revolution. This historical legacy and accumulation of past struggle has enabled the union to overcome several crises. Several unionist and national leaders took part in the series of struggles. It's true that the December uh, 17th revolution against the oppressive regime did not have any leadership, but no one can deny that this accumulation of struggles, this legacy, was the catalyst that enabled several different generations to manage social crises and political differences. It can be said then that the UGTT played a vital role in guiding the revolution from the initial spark in Sidi Bouzid and the death of the martyr uh, Bazizi. This is on the Muhammad Ali Square, and you have squares everywhere in, in, the, in the country. And this is, it tells all, I mean, when there is this, uh, uh, this uh, very interesting uh, quote by one of the unionists, they, he told me that uh, from, I mean, during the, the, the national uh, uh, independence movement, we knew, and during also the Bourguiba era, we knew that uh, police can target us uh, everywhere, but only we are, we are only protected if we go to the uh, UGTT offices. So it tells a lot about the sacred place of the UGTT in the uh, uh, collective memory of, uh, of uh, the Tunisian, and that's why, all the, as I said, all the gatherings, I mean, we were, I mean, all these people were surrounded by police, by the police, but nobody could dare uh, attack them because, as I said, this is uh, historic, historically uh, um, anchored in the society. We cannot touch uh, people when they go to the uh, UGTT. That's why people use the word uh, UGTT uh, Malja, uh, which, which means uh, uh, refuge. So, uh, after the assassination of the two uh, leftist uh, leaders, Shukri Bilaid and Ibrahim, and Shukri Bilaid and Mohammed Brahmi, here we had a very important uh, political crisis, of course, with uh, economic and social uh, crisis. And here, uh, what happens in Egypt, I mean, we are not uh, living without any connection <laughs> with the surrounding, and we had the coup d'etat uh, in Egypt with, uh, yeah, with the army, the military uh, getting over the, the power, and also in the, how to say it, in the back, I mean, in the head of the, I mean, in the, um, in the experience of the Tunisian, also we witnessed what happened with Algeria and the civil war after the, the, uh, the conflict between the Islamists and uh, what, I mean, we know the, what happened in the civil war in, uh, in Algeria. I think two, these two experiences pushed the Tunisian to find 
way to get out of this uh, political crisis. What the opposition at that time wanted, uh, they wanted to uh, the, the Islamist, uh, uh, I mean, I, I use the word Islamist uh, government, but they were governing with two other leftist uh, uh, parties, Takatul and uh, CPR, but they had the majority. And the opposition wanted uh, uh, the, the Islamists to get to, to step out, we say, yeah step out and they wanted uh, and they wanted also to dissolve the only elected body uh, which is the national constituent constituent assembly which is which, which was very dangerous at the time what the UGTT uh, did it was a very intelligent move they decided to make an alliance with Utica Utica is the employer association with the national order of uh, lawyers and with the Human Rights League. The Human Rights League and the National Order of uh, Lawyers, they have a historical legitimacy of uh, resistance against Ben Ali. But the employers, I mean the Utica, was a body totally affiliated to the Ben Ali regime. This clever move was important for two reasons. I mean, it was important to gain legitimacy vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, of course, the West, because we are totally dependent of the West. And uh, the, the, other, um, the other message, it was all the faction, economic, political factions, we are going to be together in order to save the country. So what I'm going to uh, uh, um, Say now the the positive outcome of this national dialogue. As you know, the, this quartet, these four organization won the Nobel Prize. So the positive side of this national dialogue, they managed to save the only elected body, which is the National Constituent Assembly, which is uh, for me a very big important acquis. Uh, uh, and uh, and they also saved us from the Egyptian scenario and also for the potential of civil war. Potential, I'm not sure that, we, but yeah, it was. Uh, this is the way unionists uh, will frame this. But the dark side of this national dialogue, as put by the unemployed, they said this national dialogue managed to. Uh, find uh, a peace uh, deal between the old regime and the new regime, meaning the Nahda, the Islamists and the old regime. And actually we have a government, uh, a, union, a government, a political union and the government between the old regime and the Islamists. I mean, the Islamists have the majority in the parliament. The facade is the old regime. But we, nobody would say the old regime, they would say uh, a secularist party called Nidetunus, which is a network of uh, mainly people representing the old regime, and the Islamists. This is an output of the, uh, uh, output of the, uh, the national dialogue. So we can say the positive thing that it's the political stability a minimum of political stability of uh, the, uh, the country, but the dark side, unemployed, and not only the employed, the opposition in Tunis, would say that this uh, class-based uh, consensus and this 
consensus is basically a consensus between middle class middle class group organized within the VGTT with economic and political elite, and it was done at the expenses of the social and economic demands who were at the heart of the popular uh, uprising. And it was very criticized by mainly the UDC, the Union of Unemployed. So now I'm going to, uh, 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 this is a very interesting uh, quote. It's uh, the UGTT, it's about the love-hate relationship between UGTT and the Union of Unemployed. This is a very fascinating aspect. I mean, it's only in Tunis that we have unemployed organized in a very specific association. And actually it was UGTT who gave them the logistic and the financial support to organize themselves under the Ben Ali uh, regime. The UDC is also, but after the national dialogue, they felt totally betrayed by the unionists. The UDC is also used by UGTT as means of pressure on the government. UGTT could have an opportunistic relationship with UDC. In fact, we can notice the reproduction of the class struggle in the relationship between UGTT and UDC. They treat us with superiority. For example, during the demonstration on April 25 to protest against the attacks exerted on UGTT, several representatives of civil society were invited to the balcony of the UGTT, except us, except us, the unemployed. We are the marginalized and we are not able as the political, no, as noble as the political leaders. Yet we are still very attached to the UGTT because the UGTT remains the only existing counterpower in the country. So I'm going to finish by the challenges now faced by the UGTT. Um, uh, under the era of Ben Ali, uh, we, uh, the UGTT was divided between two factions, as I said, the faction that were totally, was totally uh, in alliance with the old regime and the faction that was resistant to the Ben Ali and the authoritarian regime. Now we have another cleavage, and this cleavage is between those who, within the UGTT, who wanted the UGTT to stop playing any political role in the po new political landscape, and they are asking their leaders to focus only on sectors-based interest and we have you have the other group of unionists who still fight for keeping the ADN, uh, ADN? Well, DNA of the <laughs> of the organization meaning to keep its identity as a political organization that has a say when it comes to uh, social to support the social and economic demand and also to resist to the new uh, new uh, political way a new economic uh, liberalization wave uh, led by uh, and, uh, international institution so the challenge is how to reintegrate the social and economic demands to the heart of this consensus based approach uh, how to resist to the new agenda of international institutions, the new treaty with Europe, which is horrible because it's uh, now targeting the, uh, the, ag the agriculture, uh, the energy, and it's basically are going to ruin the, the country if we sign this uh, treaty, the public-private partnership, the, the decentralization project, which is basically the demantelment 
demontalization of the state institutions. Uh, we have also the challenges of we have a lot of anti-constitutional laws now in Tunisia. We don't have we didn't uh, build. I mean, we need also to build uh, uh, some. Uh, I mean, the constitutional card is not uh, ready. Uh, the social movements also, we, we still have a lot of social struggles and social uh, movement everywhere in the country, but they are, they don't, they are not strong enough, they don't have enough uh, uh, political uh, leadership and, politi and financial and, uh, and economic means to uh, challenge the, 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 the power, uh, the ruling regime. And also, and I want, I'm going to conclude uh, by this, uh, we cannot, uh, uh, the democratic, the so-called new democratic uh, institution, um, uh, uh, Tunisian model is not sustainable unless we don't manage to get uh, political uh, political solution to the region. I mean, you cannot think of a, of a democratic and uh, prosperous uh, Tunisia with a war in Libya, with what's going on in Palestine, and I'm going to finish by, by this. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Hella, for this most interesting talk. Um, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I guess I'm only going to ask you a few and then we can open uh, the floor up for discussion. Uh, I guess the first thing that I'd like you to discuss a little further is that obviously you touch on a lot of very important themes throughout the book. So obviously there's unionism, there's revolution, there's resistance and authoritarianism yeah. especially. Do you think that there is one of them that is more important than others today in comparison to when you started the research for this book? Mm -hmm. Or do you think that they're still very much interrelated in that sense? Uh, I think what happened during uh, the political transition and still till now that uh, uh, the political and economic elite managed to put a hierarchy between political uh, challenges and economic and social mm. challenges. So uh, the, the rhetoric is it's not the time for uh, demonstrations, not the time for economic and social demands. We need to maintain the stability of the country. So, yeah, now the problem for me, uh, I mean, of course, these issues are political and economic are interrelated, but uh, what I mean, now we are in a totally different political landscape. Mm -hmm. we, the state is totally fragilized by the mafia and the, co uh, the corruption of the, uh, uh, the, the political elite governing the country now. Uh, we are totally fragilized mainly by the, uh, the inst international institutions that uh, they are interfering within the political and internal game. And when I speak, spoke about regional consideration, also we are not protected from all the political uh, problems between uh, the acts of Israel, Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, United States, and uh, the Iran, uh, Russia, and, uh, uh, and, yeah, and what's going in, in Syria. And th we had also the intervention of other players. Of course, the main player in, in Tunis, uh, it's France. I mean, it's uh, obvious and it's but still it's now challenged by other uh, regional and uh, local players and it, make it makes things more difficult. So we have to struggle 
to me, I mean, wow, I'm <laughs> including myself now. Uh, I mean, the social movements, if uh, actors, mm -hmm. now they are totally uh, um, in a trap between uh, very important regional and political challenges, and at the same time, how to resist to the uh, neoliberal uh, order being imposed by the uh, international institutions. This is the so there is a lot of uh, anger. Mm -hmm. But this anger is not. Or I mean, one of the um, one of my one of the my motive to do this uh, work is to understand the organizational challenges mm -hmm. in the social movement. And actually, the new social movements they have they are struggling with organizational issues. How mm -hmm. to get a voice in the political debate? And to get a voice, we need to be represented either in a political party or in a, to create uh, new movements. And this is and here where there is issues on. On, on that level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of very different layers yeah. here. Uh, but I think something else that I would like to get you to comment on is the perception of Tunisia more generally yeah. today. Because that is also shifted a yeah. lot. Uh, obviously, in 2011, Tunisia was seen as the birthplace of yeah. the Arab uprisings, yeah. and then we saw the Islamist wave coming, and then the constitution, yeah. and then the situation today. Yeah. So how do you feel that this is being perceived, and do you feel like that's actually reflective of what's going on in the ground? Um, yeah, Tunisia is a very small country without resources, which is <laughs> good for us. But at the same time, during the Ben Ali era, uh, Tunisia was represented as the economic miracle of Africa. I mean, we were all. I mean, we were. We have. We are. We were perceived as this little island of modernity. Actually, it's the rhetoric of Bourguiba that was sustained by also Ben Ali. This, this beautiful country with a very strong fe feminist movement, which is true, by the way, but it was a facade of modernity mm. and we look like the Westerners, which is good to get funding. So this uh, this image, of course, it's. I mean, it's, it's. This image confiscated, also, as I said, the social and uh, the pr the economic dysfunction uh, dysfunctions within the economic mm -hmm. uh, system. I mean, after the the, uh, the and just I mean the ma the main debate after the Bazizi uh, immolation was the economic model, uh, the economic development model was. Uh, the most important cause that explained the the popular uprising, and after one month, one or two months, we stopped talking about the economic model. We stopped talking about the economic, the problematic economic dependence on Europe and on on France and on yeah, because. As you know, uh, the uh, the treaty, economic treaty with Europe, it's mainly a treaty that sustained the European interest within uh, the country, and also it's a pact with the local political and economic elite. So what we are witnessing now, they are rebuilding the same uh, neo-colonial pact between mm -hmm. the local economic elite. So this. I forgot your question. So yeah, so we need to also to market this uh, new political, new uh, colonial pact by saying, well, the Tunisia is the only democratic place, and we need to support it. But su to how to support it is by maintaining the same old receipt of maintaining the same economic and political aid that was totally. This is a very important. Uh, uh, rupture uh, with the old, uh, with the Ben Ali era, mm. this co economic and political elite totally it lost all legitimacy vis-a-vis -vis its lo local uh, people. So as I, as I said, now the challenge is 
yeah, Tunisia is perceived as the heaven of, uh, and for some, yeah, I can understand also people, if you compare it to Libya or to compare it to Syria, but things, I mean, this image is also, again, confiscate, uh, confiscating a lot of uh, economic and political challenges within the country. I mean, I mean uh, now I'm going to talk about my personal opinion. I'm, I'm sick of hearing uh, that Tunisia, you guys are doing well comparing to Egypt or comparing to, 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 to Libya. In Tunisia, we have a lot of problems. And it's not the same case as Egypt or as Libya, but uh, they are destroying every possibility now of obtaining uh, uh, national, uh, uh, they are compromising any possibility of political and economic emancipation of this, uh, of this country. And uh, for all the reasons I said, and this rhetoric is one of the rhetoric confiscating the, the possibility of, uh, yeah, trying to confiscate yeah. them. People are still struggling but uh, this is yeah okay well <laughs> it's uh, you're painting a very particular <laughs> picture uh, here but i think i'm gonna open the floor to the public to the audience to see if there's any questions so if you do have one just please raise your hand yes i see a few i think we're gonna start with the gentleman in the front uh do we have a mic Yes, I'd like to ask you. Yes, I'm interested in all the things you've uh, mentioned here tonight. Um, the amount of unemployed people uh, that uh, estimate has risen and 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 gone down, fluctuated, and uh, my question is. I'm thinking that once the population uh, uh, the employment has increased, mm -hmm. this will also uh, bring prosperity for the country, for the people. Mm -hmm. And this automatically would change their, their opportunities and their, and their situation. I don't understand. If you look at the global situation, after this situation, uh, 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 the, the, you can see that the uh, amount of people that are employed mm -hmm. and unemployed, it variates depending on the situation, the global situation. Yeah. And, and after the, after the Ab Ab Arabic uh, Spring, yeah. Revolution, yeah. the uh, unemployment went down. No, or went up. I mean. Yeah. And does this have any effect on Tunisia? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, what what happened? That yeah, after the Arab Spring, uh, things get uh, worse. Meaning the the unemployment uh, has uh, uh, risen up, and it was yeah, it's uh, problematic. But the thing is. 
if we need to, uh, I mean, yeah, the one of the motives of, it's not only economic, uh, it's also political freedom, it's not only economic demands that were uh, behind the, the Arab, uh, Tunisian uh, uprising at least, but what the problem now is that the new, I mean, the new political and economic elite, they are using the same receipt as before. So they are not, cha they are not changing the, the, they are not working on changing the economic uh, model that produced this unemployment. This is a, the most problematic thing. Now, if you look at, we have a lot of uh, small organizations, very interesting also uh, um, uh, movement. They are working on food sovereignty, on, uh, on uh, yeah, against the private-public partnership. I mean, against all, I mean, they are also mobilizing against the new treaty with Europe, which is one of the, I mean, which is uh, continuing with the same trajectory as uh, before. But these, all these people, at a, as I said before, they don't have enough power to challenge the uh, uh, decision, uh, the political decision makers. So actually, this is you are you are targeting the main problem here. So that we this popular uprising was explained by economic unemployment, and uh, now things are getting worse because in terms of mobilization, we don't have enough organizational levers to make this movement strong and we are also uh, uh, these movements are also being attacked by uh, the decision uh, makers so and people are now starving i mean it's uh, very complicated so yeah okay uh, i think we had another question here in the front Uh, I noticed, of course, during your very enlightening talk, you used the words uh, popular uprising. Yeah. Which you mean um, the Arab Spring that uh, was triggered in Tunisia. Yes. And the Arab Spring uh, that spread across the Arab Islamic world, mm -hmm. as we understand, as I understand it, mm -hmm is the withering away of the of more auto authoritarian Islamic uh, uh, governments. Yeah, so, yeah. And uh, in Tunisia, for example, um, the tug of war mm -hmm. between the Islamic movement mm -hmm. and the more democratic uh, processes mm -hmm. of, a, of a government. Mm -hmm. uh, my first question is, uh, what is the situation now? Who has the upper hand? Mm -hmm. Because that there were there are still terrorist attacks mm -hmm. happening in Tunisia, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. this so-called Arab Spring mm -hmm. that is spread untold destructions in the Arab world. Mm -hmm. In Egypt, for example, mm -hmm. well, back to the military control, mm -hmm. and Syria is destroyed almost mm -hmm. totally. Mm -hmm. So what? is your take on this? Um, what's my take on this? This is a very complex question. Uh, my take uh, on this, uh, first of all, I think a lot of us, I mean, Tunisia, a lot of people, and, and I think also in Arab countries, refuse the word Arab Spring. Right after the Arab Spring, they started to talk about Arab Winter. Actually, these names are names used by the Westerners to talk about what's going on in Tunisia. So it's not an Arab, it's not spring, it's not winter, it's yeah, it's only, 
yeah, so it's a, a revolutionary process. Now, what you were saying that this led to the Islamists taking over everywhere. No, it's not true. I, at least in the case of Tunisia, our problem, I mean, the problem of the social movements in Tunisia with Nahda, it's not on the base of their political identity or their use of uh, political Islam. Their problem is with their neoliberal program. Mm -hmm. The way West, the West, try to portray, this is what I try to deconstruct actually, the way the West, the lens the West is using all the time to look at this region of the world is to say, well, there is a, a fight between the Islamists and the secularists. I'm trying to say that our, it's not our business, that's not this, our, the, the, uh, the problem. The problem in this region, we are suffering from two main problems. The first problem is the eco global economic crisis that you are witnessing everywhere and particularly in the, south, in the global south because all the history of economic dependence on uh, of these uh, places. This is the, second, uh, the first problem. The second problem we have, and I mean this is another also topic, I'm <laughs> we have uh, a war not led by the Arabs in the country, we have a war led by big uh, the, power, the Western powers and the new regional players in the region as Iran, Israel, uh, Saudi Arabia. And this is the first, I mean, this is the main problem. We are being bombed, we, are, we did a revolution, but we are just right after, we are having bombs everywhere. And mainly, I mean, Libya is a nightmare. What's going on in Iraq is a nightmare. Was the strike on Gaza, it's horrible. Now, well, if we ask me what about terrorism, for me, that, I mean, this is also a huge debate about terrorism and I don't want to get in it because uh, this is, I mean, when we also, this is a, a new, a also a very problematic rhetoric, these people are condemned to uh, fundamentalism and Islam and no, the enlightened West, we are going to help them from this. This is not our problem. It's not a problem of enlightenment. People are already enlightened and they, we have a struggle for survival and a struggle for economic and social emancipation. And unless we cannot uh, find a regional solution to this problem. We are going to suffer from these, uh, the, this problem. And yeah, the, the Daesh thing is another thing. I don't, I don't want to enter to it. But my take on this is totally misleading to look at this region through the, the cleavage between Islamists and secularists. In Tunis, Islamists are governing hand in hand with the so-called modernist and democratic and secularist. This is something important to know. And both of them, they are totally at the mercy of uh, international institutions. And this is the, uh, our, main, uh, our main problem, at least in Tunisia, Libya and Egypt, it's another, <laughs> it's another, uh, another problem. And even in this tiny, small country, we don't have oil resources. Israel is far from us. Even within this small country, we are being, uh, we are, uh, how to say it, we are uh, 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 being imposed this, uh, war between these regional uh, players. And this is problematic. What we ha have, I mean, I can, can give you an example. We were, we, ha we, were, um, we had yesterday a new, new government. It was a modification, the new government. And we are being imposed a minister, 
a Tunisian minister, who is totally pro-Zionist. How can you imagine or expect the Tunisian people to react to this? Where officially Tunisia is totally uh, has uh, has no official relationship with Tunisia. So we were being imposed this by uh, by external uh, forces. And after that, we can talk about terrorism. But none. I mean, this is not my not my first uh, main interest. Right. Thank you. Uh, I think we still have a few minutes. So uh, if you could just put your hands up, maybe we'll take a couple of questions at the same time, and yeah. then you can address yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. So there's. One, two, and three. If you could keep them brief, please. Okay, uh, you commented on the e EU treaty. Yeah. You said it was potentially a disaster for yeah. Tunisia. Uh, yeah. Could you please be a little bit more specific about that? Uh, actually, I don't master really this, pro <laughs> this but and from what I... Yeah, I'm going to take a few okay. of them. Cause okay. okay, so there was uh, one in two in the back, actually. Thank you. Um, you mentioned the role of the UGTT in the, uh, during the appraisal. What is the role now? Uh, yeah. And they, you mentioned that as a place of refuge. Yeah. What is it now? And has their legitimacy changed since the, uh, 2011? Yeah. Yeah. I want to know if there are some ideological differences between all these political parties that uh, we can see today that the communists, the Islamists, the social democrats, they are in the government. Yeah. If there are some differences between them, no. or if they are coming in the future, there are ideological differences between all these parties. Mm. Okay, thank you. Right, okay, over to you. Okay, <laughs> so uh, regarding the European uh, Treaty, from what I understood, uh, it's um, I will start by the criticism of the old uh, treaty. The one of the main criticisms of the old treaty that this treaty maintained the interests of some economic business uh, businessmen in tourism and textile, and these sectors are basically offering uh, jobs for unqualified. Uh, worker. The problem in Tunisia is the un unemployment of people with diploma. So we had this big debate on how to restructure the economic Tunisian economic model in a way that produce jobs for people with diploma. I mean, this is one of the... I'm I try to put it uh, simply. With the new treaty, they are basically, uh, and then, of course, the deal with Europe, we give you some money to maintain your interest in the tourism and textile, and you need to build prisons for the Tunisians so that they cannot go to Europe. I mean, you know better than me the policy of Europe with, uh, with immigration and immigrants. Now, the new treaty is going to enlarge these pacts into important sectors, the agriculture and the, uh, the energy. Within the agriculture, I mean, I take this example. The agriculture, I mean, we have a lot of problems, but we can, with the agriculture sector, we can be one of the most prosperous uh, country in the region. Uh, 
the, with public-private partnership and with, I mean, the two reforms, public-private partnership and with the Aleka, we can have big uh, European firms mm -hmm. buying a lot of uh, uh, a lot of land. And instead of cultivating tomatoes, they are will, uh, cultivating uh, flowers for transport. I'm putting it in a very ironic way, but mm. it's, it's really it's going to be uh, to be uh, that. Uh, and the energy, for example, I mean, we, we can have, I mean, uh, 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 water. I mean, I mean, EDF or GDF. Uh, Electricity, electricity mm. and water delivery, we can have now multinationals competing with uh, the local ones and it's going to be problematic in terms, for example, in tariffs of water or tariffs of, uh, uh, of electricity. We are losing it at many, many fronts, but we cannot see the uh, European treaty in isolation with other reforms that are being imposed by World Bank the, the reform on decentralization also is very problematic. I mean, we can we need to see the, all the, the so-called uh, structural reforms to understand the, the, the what's going on now in, in, in Tunis. Okay, uh, uh, I have just. So I think we're are we allowed one more minute? Okay. okay. So if you could address the other two questions. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I will. I will be. Uh, Brief. Uh, UGTT legitimacy. UGTT is, is losing its legitimacy. Uh, legitimacy for two reasons. It lo it loses. Uh, it's. I mean, as I said, the, uh, the we have a new cleavage now between uh, the unionists who want the UGTT to keep its political role and mainly to oppose these neoliberal reforms, and the other group of people who want the UGTT to play only a sectorial-based role. This second wing is. Uh, taking over the UGTT. What I should mention also that all the state institutions are totally fragilized. So there is a crisis of authority everywhere and even within the, the UGTT. So no, now the, demo the, the demonstrations are uh, messy, everything is messy, and then it's, it's, it, I mean, it's targeting the legitimacy of UGTT as uh, an important social actor, but still, it's. I mean, there is a very important cleavage and conflict within uh, the uh, the UGTT. Uh, in terms of if there is a difference between the leftists, basically, and the Islamists, and uh, I should be honest now. <laughs> and the <laughs> if I take the if I take, I mean, you heard the last speech of uh, of. Uh, of uh, Ranouche, I don't know if you heard. I mean, Ranouche, I cannot see the difference between the old regime and Ranouche now. And even the Islamist rhetoric is totally forgotten by Ranouche. Only he, what he wants now is to be accepted by uh, the West. And I think a parallel between uh, the strategy led by AKP in, in Turkey and what's going on in Tunisia could be uh, an interesting parallel to understand the strategy of Ranouche in Tunis. For me, Islamist and also the old regime, Nide Tunis, both of these are right-wing party, uh, parties, liberal and also conservative. Even the idea that presented itself as modernist—I mean, deep down there. Now the problem is with the leftist. The leftist, because they are also uh, get trapped in uh, because the the leftist in Tunisia, it's mixed. I'm not—I don't want to simplify that much. But the the they are totally. Uh, uh, 
omnubilated by the Islamists. And for them, the battle is against the, uh, the, the, the Islamists, and they forgot about the social and economic demands. And this is the, the problem. They totally forgot about the, the heart of the, the, the normally the Marxist ideology, and this is our problem. So they are only fighting on the basis of to preserve the modernity of the Tunisian society and at the expense of the social and uh, economic uh, questions. Mm. That's it. Okay. Thank you, Hala, and thank you for all of you for coming out here tonight. Please join me in thanking Hala once again. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews.